something green. Green Divas. They got green dudes too. Green Divas. With more green news, you got to believe us. Listen to the Green Divas. Green Divas Radio Show. Yeah. Yay. It's not as exciting with you not actually here in the studio, though. I just have to put that out there. I know, and I'm realizing I need to talk louder when I'm not there. Yeah. Well, everyone, welcome to the Green Divas radio show. We have a jam-packed, really good show today. Awesome Uh, stuff. Yeah, including sex. So, you know, I'm just saying, you got to stay tuned. can't beat that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can't beat that with no a stick. Oh, my God. So I'm going to go through the rundown real quick, and then we have a couple of very, very exciting announcements that we want to make. Mm-hmm. So our feature today was with Winona Houter, or Houter, who is the executive director of Food and Water Watch, right? Yes, a very important organization. And she's really amazing, the work she's doing to help um, – well, to help change policy, which is really important um, for protecting our food and water. We have a Green Divas My Earth 360 by Lynn this week. Yay! Yay, that's me. Uh, that would be you. And we have also a Green Divas at Home segment by us. We it, are just awesome, aren't we? Well, it just occurred to us, like we have all these other really cool people, which we love featuring and highlighting in these segments. And then we're like, well, we could do one. That's right. <laughs> We're capable. We can do it. Uh, and then we finally got to talk to Ed Fallon, who has been walking across the country, literally walked from Calif- uh, where did he- from California to the East Coast, right? Well, he at least made it to Chicago because I saw him walk uh, into the Climate March festivities when I was there. He's a really interesting man, and you got to check him out at FallonForum.com, but listen to this interview about, you know, again, there's a message of hope in there, and I think we all really need that. Right. Then, of course, as I said, we have an eco-sexy segment with With Stephanie Iris Weiss, who's an author of Eco-Sex, Greening Up Your Bedroom. I don't don't have the tagline there properly, but... (laughs) Please listen to the segment. It's a lot of fun. Can't it's all wait. about toys. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward pause. Awkward pause. So anyway, we um, have to mention our fabulous sponsor. We love to mention our fabulous sponsor, buygreen.com, your trusted source for green products for home. And yes, and you can access them through our site, the green. TheGreenDivas.com, I can talk, slash Marketplace. And we only have about 10 seconds to announce that the Green Divas Global Digital Radio Network is live on our site. Uh, it's streaming live, and it's it's. we're going to have an app by the time this uh, podcast comes out. So please go to so exciting. thegreendivas.com and check it out. It's uh, streaming 24-7. All, we have so much great content and so much great news coming. Please, please stay tuned. Overwhelmed by environmental news? Listen to the Green Divas My Earth 360 report for the latest eco-news bits from around the globe, carefully curated and borne by our need to say WTF. 
But we also love to share encouraging stories and, of course, ways that you can make your voice count for the earth. It's not just my earth. It's our earth. And together, we can make a difference. Hey, everybody. Um, This is a good week because Lynn, our fabulous green diva, Lynn Hasselberger, is actually doing her own My Earth 360 this week. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Green Diva Meg. How are you doing? I'm good, you know, because she's graciously allowed us to have some guests featured in these segments for the last couple of weeks. But now we're back to our fun. Yay. Yay, it's my turn. <laughs> so what's what's the WTF news? Well, there's a, there's a few things. Um, fracking is to be permitted in the George Washington National Forest. What? Um, yeah. The drilling will be permitted on 167,000 acres. What? Yeah. It's not the entire forest, but it's, it's still a huge area. And environmental groups are worried that it's going to pollute, of course, mountain streams, which directly provides drinking water to about 260,000 people in the Shenandoah Valley, and then there's another 2.7 million people in northern Virginia and Washington who rely on the forest for a portion of their water supply. Okay, so yeah. kind of ridiculous. And the crazy thing, too, is that I was reading, I opened this article, and right under the headline there was an advertisement for uh, supporting the Keystone XL pipeline and enhance U.S. energy efficiency. That vote is happening tonight, and that will be over by the time this airs. But uh, that was a WTF within a WTF. (laughs) WTF times two. Yeah, right, WTF squared, man. And a similar uh, fracking, not a similar story, but a related story about fracking is uh, happening in California. Um, California officials... Uh, they claim they made an error, but they allowed oil and gas companies to pump about 3 billion gallons of water, wastewater, into underground aquifers. <gasps> oh, and, and then that's, that's the last place on the planet where that should be happening. Yeah. Because or one of them. Because they're in a yeah. situation. Right. So that's kind of crazy. Um, and then... Uh, and by the way, did anybody see that 60 Minutes segment? Oh, yes. That's, uh, Recently? that's something I'll post... Um, to the My Earth 360 report. Yeah, because that was, I mean, you and I, and we have talked an awful lot about the statistics, which are pretty scary, and there was even more depth and detail and pretty much horror in uh, what's going on with water. Yeah, it, it was all about how we're depleting our water supply. Um, our demand is, is higher than a lot of times what we can replenish. Right. Um, and, you know, I've heard people kind of, or I've seen comments, at least on Facebook, sometimes when I post things about, I don't know, global warming or, you know, worries about our water supply, and people are like, people have said things like, well, we always have the same amount of water, as if it's not an issue. But what they're not taking into consideration is that if we pump out water, let's say, in our backyard, it doesn't mean it's going to come back down in our backyard, yeah, right, right. So um, that's and and it could well, that's not going to come back, back down. To the uh, polluted, it could run off and it could be polluted. It could run off into the streams and back into the ocean, and then we can't drink it anyway. So yeah, that always kind of cracks me up. Yeah. Um, 
What else? Now, nanomaterials have been found in organic food, and this headline was that the USDA is looking the other way. (gasps) We had Jennifer Sass from NRDC talk about nanoparticles. Yes. She wasn't necessarily talking about them in our food. No. But there are, well, there are, of course, um, naturally occurring, well, I don't know if you think of it as, of course, not everybody knows that there are nanoparticles. Um, that occur naturally, such as smoke from wildfires, but there's also engineered nanomaterials um, that are actually sometimes added to food, like uh, food and vegetable coatings, food packaging materials. Uh, Titanium dioxide is sometimes added to increase the whiteness of mints and milk, yogurt, other dairy substitutes salad dressings, um, but the thing is is that it's unregulated, labeling's not required, and it's something that's been recommended to um, not allow in organic food. Yeah, no, I think organic food should be unadulterated with all that exactly. stuff. Exactly, so it's something to know about. Okay. And uh, another interesting thing... Um, I don't know about you, but I stay away from antibacterial soap. Right, And correct. I also watch out because it contains triclosan. Je- among other things, yeah. Among other things. And that's a synthetic compound not found in nature. Um, but it is found in soaps and detergents and things like that. But some recent research has found it to trigger liver cancer in laboratory mice. Ooh. And so, so all, um, those, all those doctors and nurses who use it like 500 times a day? Right. Exactly. Oh, that's bad. I know. I make my own, um, like, I love foaming hand soap. Mm-hmm. So I make my own. No trickle yes, sand. I, I use that, and it's great. tea tree oil and a little Dr. Browner's and some clean water and mix it up. Yeah. Why you not? do a great job with that. Thank you. Uh, I have one more kind of a downer <laughs> story, and then I have a little bit of encouraging news. Okay. Uh, polar bears, they've been the symbol of climate change. We love polar bears. Yeah. I love all animals except for that really weird bug that was in your sink when I was there to visit. I don't know what which, the heck that thing which was. Which really is large enough to be almost like a small creature, right? <gasps> I mean, it's... I have never seen anything like that in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty ugly. It must have some purpose on, on this earth. Yeah. But um, anyway... To terrorize you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's a study and just two of 80 polar bear cubs um, that were tracked between 2003 and 2007, just two of them survived. Oh. And normally about half of the cubs will live. So it's predicted by conservationists that more than two-thirds of the world's polar bear subpopulations could be extinct by 2050. And, you know, a lot of that's due to the unfavorable ice conditions, because that limits their access to the ice seals, right, right. and that's their favorite prey. And, um, you know, you don't want them, they, a lot of them have to swim now a little further. Or right, so it's good further. news for ice seals and not so good for polar bears. Exactly. Yeah, there's always going to be the pros and cons. So <laughs> that is, um, I will have an action item for that to help save. It's not just about saving the polar bears. It's actually a letter that's going to um, an upcoming uh, climate conference in December, so it's a letter to them more about, you know, let's do something about climate change. Right. And the polar bears are, you know. Right. The the poster, the the poster children of climate change. 
Exactly. Aww. So the encouraging news, which I know you always look forward yes, to. Yes, I do. The number three Republican in the Senate, uh, Senator John Thune, he's from South Dakota. He was on Fox News Sunday, and he actually kind of admitted that climate change is occurring. Oh, my gosh. Which is, you know, that's a plus. Because that's earth-shattering right there. don't like to say that. All right, yeah. Um, and many, many probably believe it. They just don't want to put it out there. But well, he, good for him. Yeah, so there's a video I'll include on the post with that because, um, yeah, it's encouraging that he's at least putting it out there, and now the question is what are we going to do about it? And then, of course, he did throw out there, and at what cost? So right. that always well, has to come into play. Yeah, let's not get into that right now. But it is encouraging, so I'm glad. Yeah. Yay! We'd like to have that good news. Yeah, so there's Except hope. in the right direction. There's hope. There's hope for this wonky world. There is. <laughs> All right, G.D. Lynn. Inside joke. Well, um... Soon to be revealed. That's right. Stay tuned. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you. Get all the details from this Green Divas My Earth 360 report and lots more on thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com, and myearth360.com. Every Green Diva needs a sidekick. At the Green Divas radio show, they're called Green Dudes. Time now for a deeper shade of green from a guy's perspective. Wow. Well, it's about time we finally got to talk to the fabulous Ed Fallon, who's the host of FallonForum.com or the Fallon Forum. He's got a million hats. Oh, my gosh. He's a busy guy. Um, He's a world traveler a peacemaker, and a legislator, former legislator, and he's out there trying to change the world one step at a time, as he just said to me a minute ago. Very clever. Hi, Ed. Hi. I like to be clever. Clever is fun. <laughs> clever is awesome. So you, uh, why don't you describe the march that you recently did, the literal walk that, had, that was tied into the People's March? Well, I, uh, after serving in the uh, legislature for 14 years, I was running for governor. And uh, I had done well, but didn't win. So Aww. I was trying to try. Oh, I know. But I was trying to sit back in 2006. And, I'm, and I'm, I mean, one reason I ran for governor was I wanted to see us in the state of Iowa do more relevant to the climate crisis. Right. And uh, I, was, um, I was having dinner with Bill McKibben that fall. Wow. And, and, uh, oh, you're just name dropping now. No, no, no. <laughs> this is before. This is before Bill McKibben was a name that one would drop. Uh, uh. He was. Uh, he was an author. He was starting to travel. Three hundred and fifty hadn't even been found yet. I don't. I don't. I don't think. Or it's so. It was still a very young group. Great. And uh, he was here in Iowa to do a presentation, and we talked about um, the climate issue. And yeah. you know, he kind of made it clear that this is not just another issue you check off on your list of things that you're concerned about while you're running for governor or something right. it's right. a list of it, it's a crisis and yeah. it, it take, takes precedence over the other issues you're concerned about and i started thinking about that and that was um one reason i ran for congress in 2008 and uh both times i ran for higher office i didn't take 
any PAC money. That was always a matter of principle for me. Yeah, good No money for from you. PACs, no money from lobbyists. Yeah. I, I, still, I still managed to raise a half a million in each of those races, but what's crazy about American politics is that ain't enough to win. I know. <laughs> I know. It's very sad. And so I, I, I ran. I got beat, but... I, I, I elevated the issue of climate, or the crisis of climate, I should say, yes. in that campaign. And I've been looking for some way to, some way to really uh, make, it a more, uh, make it a bigger part of my commitment. And in February of last year, it just came to me, why not organize a march across this country, a big march, to get attention um, to the issue? And I so like I, I started putting that together um, in February of last year, and... We made it happen uh, this year from March 1st through November 1st, walking 3,000 miles from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. And I tell you... Um, That's amazing. Pleasant, yeah, it's are you exhausted? Experience. Are you exhausted? Not anymore. I have two <laughs> weeks off. Uh, <laughs> my feet are still sore. And, uh, and yes, I did walk every step of the way. So Wow. Uh, it, it's, um, it's a funny experience to have, really. I mean, beyond the whole impact we have, on the who's had on the climate crisis, and I think it's been a very positive impact. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing to do to one's body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to walk that much. Uh, I mean, for example, I, I was um, visiting my mother after the, the march ended on November first. Right. And I'm visiting my mom. She lives north of Boston, about well, it's about ten miles, I guess. Uh, and I was um, actually nine miles to be exact. And I was, I walked down the hill to get on the bus, and I had a 15-minute wait. And I said, I don't feel like waiting for 15 minutes. It's only nine miles. I'll just walk. And I literally, <laughs> I, just, I just walked into Boston, nine miles. You know, so it does, that, a, it does a funny thing to your, your perception of distance and, and what, it means to, uh, <laughs> what it means to take a walk. Uh, yeah. You know, um, but, it's, you know, it is, it is actually, walking is a great form of transportation. Uh, sure. But beyond that, it connects you with people. I mean, I we connected with people in ways that you don't normally connect with them. Oh, I want to uh, tell people that they should go visit. Um, fa- the, is it FallonForum dot com or the Fallon Forum? Yeah, and even and also if they, if they want to specifically learn more about the climate march, we have a website. Uh, it's not as busy as it was, you know, when we were actually marching, but right. it's still a good good resource. Uh, we have a Facebook page as well, and it's simply but, climate march, but climatemarch.org. Climatemarch.org. But I really enjoyed the stories on Fallon, the FallonForum.com. Because, because it, you know, they just were really like everywhere you went, you, you really got a sense of the people you encountered. There was a very funny story about uh, drunk Dennis. Uh, <laughs> Who's going to donate money? Got then got belligerent and took extra money back, which was kind of funny. <laughs> but you know, I the stories of the people really are very. Um, it just it gives you a really uh, an interesting sense of of the places you really were and the the climate in those communities. Yeah, climate, so to speak, and in fact, right. the. Um, Sorry, I'm letting a cat out of my house. Can I bring <laughs> it out on the air? Uh, <laughs> go for it, kitty. Walk. Um, <laughs> That's funny. So the, uh, I didn't say that. The first, uh, for example, the first week walking across Nebraska, uh, western Nebraska, I mean, 90% of the time we are walking in rural America. We are walking through what the politicians refer to as the red states, the yeah. red parts of the country, yeah. the conservative parts of the country the parts that voted for this new Congress. Um, 
And yet, uh, I'm meeting people all over the place who are concerned about the climate crisis, regardless of where they come from on the political spectrum. Right. I mean, one, That's one encouraging. I'm, I'm walking through the small town of Indianola, Nebraska, on a Sunday. It was probably the hottest day of the march. It, was, it hit 100 degrees uh, before noon that day. And I'm walking across a church parking lot. Cars are starting to come in. One guy comes in, one guy with a pro-life bumper sticker on his minivan, rolls down his window and says, are you with those people who are walking to stop that pipeline? <laughs> and I said, yes. He's referring to the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah, yeah. And I said, yes. He says, well, thank you. Thank Aww. you for doing that. <laughs> wow. So did you come away with, uh, we only have like another minute, did you have a sense of optimism and were you encouraged by the people you met? Yes, very much, very much so. And what I think is the, the climate crisis has to become localized. Yeah. I mean, in, the, in Nebraska, uh, we, have, we, we went through an area where, where, again, with the Keystone Pipeline, I mean, most people are against it yeah. in that part of Nebraska. Yeah. But also, people are starting to see the weather events that are connected to climate change. Yeah. In Nebraska, again, we saw a uh, hailstorm. Wow. That was eight miles wide and a oh. hundred miles, hundred miles long. Oh my gosh! It devastated crops. It was unprecedented. Nothing, nothing had been seen like this. Oh my gosh! People, people, when people see this, they know something is different. And even if they don't know what to do, they know something has to be done. And that opens the door to the conversation, which should be a bipartisan conversation. Wow. Well, I'm very, very grateful for all that you're doing to help highlight this crisis and also share the stories from the communities you've been through and the experiences you're having in your travels and your your walks. Um, so I hope that you'll come on the show again and talk some more about some, some of the specific stories. Uh, and everybody, is it FallonForum.com? Right. And what I'd say on that too, Megan, is um, I, I realized during my last week of walking uh, into Washington, D.C., I realize that the, the, the work of this march is not over, and lots of marches are out doing lots of good things right now. And what I'm focusing on is giving a, a presentation, giving talks about okay. this experience. And so if people want to talk, want to, want to invite me to come to their community, I'll travel anywhere in the U.S. to talk about the march, about the climate crisis, and how what, what we experienced, I think, gives, us some, gives me some hope yes. that we can actually tackle this thing and win. I, I think we all need that hope. So, you know, please, everybody, check Ed's work out. Consider bringing him in to talk. And hopefully when you're in the New York area next time, we can get you to come to the studio and talk to us. That would be great. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Megan. Want more information on this Green Dude segment and other ideas for low-stress green living? Go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, GreenDivas.com. Looking for low-stress ways to create a healthier, non-toxic environment in your home? The Green Divas make it fun and easy with useful information for making a beautiful and eco-friendly Green Diva home. Hey, you know, we, we're just figuring out that Lynn and I can feature in these wonderful segments, right? What a discovery. Uh, yeah, because, you know, we have homes. so That's right. Well, when I was uh -huh. at your home and I noticed um, that you have the tubeless toilet paper. 
Right. And I just think that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, apparently, over 17 billion toilet paper tubes are thrown away each year. Well, and then I, I think they did some kind of commercial statistic with that, and I can't remember how much it equals, but it's it's a lot Enough of... Enough to fill the Empire State Building. That's what it was. Thank Not you. Not just once, but twice. But twice. Exactly. And, you know, I had a bone to pick with them. So anyway, just so people know, that the, the topic of this segment is about our household paper products like toilet paper and paper towels. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to minimize my paper towel use, but I do have them, and as you know, and I just – I try to – A, I reuse them. Like if I'm just you know right. w- wiping something with water, I just – I dry it up and reuse it. And just to be clear, you're talking about the paper towels, not the toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The paper towels, I'm like okay. switching <laughs> topics on people. So, But I always use recycled content mm-hmm. paper products so that when I do use them, at least I feel – you know, I have dish towels all over the place. I right. have those other sort of paper towel things that don't absorb much, but they are useful in other ways. So anyway, getting back to the toilet paper – well, the toilet paper apparently accounts for 15% of deforestation. Yeah, so it's... recycled toilet paper, okay, not as soft. Get over it. But, you know, we have, be grateful we have toilet paper. Yeah. It's not going to kill you to use recycled toilet paper, right? Well, it's not that, <laughs> it's not that bad, actually, because I've used recycled toilet paper, mm-hmm. content to- and it's not, it's not bad at all. But part of the problem also with, like, just regular old toilet paper is the bleach they use. It's mm-hmm. a fresh, you know, wood pulp. But, you know, these tubeless ones you speak of, yes. I think are absolutely brilliant. But I have a bone to pick with the company. I think it's Scott right. Tissue. Yes, it is. I was tweeting them this morning about because, it. and I've let them know this that it's brilliant. But why not make the paper, you know, um, recycled paper, which it is not, mm-hmm. and then it'd be like super brilliant. Or at least have the option. Yeah. Because at least it's better for those people that demand the really super fluffy toilet paper. That right. they just can't live without, and then they don't have the tubes, so at least that helps a little bit. Yeah, so step in the right direction. Yep. But yes, at least make a version for us so that we can feel extra good and yeah. have tubeless and recycled paper. Tube. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. Please, we're, so we're we're making a public plea to Scott Tissue. Yes, please. Like, we thank will, you, uh, thank you for again. going in the right direction. But let's take it a step further. How hard could it be? Exactly. Famous well, last and pa- words. going back to paper towels, a real quick stat, just yeah. um, so that people can be mindful of their paper towel use. And I use them, you know, if the cat throws up because yeah, it's there's hard certain to use things. The reusable things. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like a reusable diaper. I should be able to do that. There's a little bit of a gross out factor. So um, I admit, I use it for that. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna give you a pass on that. And it's like that. That yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. But uh, 17 trees are cut down and 20,000 gallons of water are consumed to make one ton of paper <gasps> towels. One what? One ton of paper oh, towels. One ton of paper towels. Like, I, was, I thought it was going to be like one paper towel roll. I was going to like completely flip really out. Bad. Completely like I'm never <laughs> using one again ever. Uh, but every day there's 3,000 tons of paper towel waste produced yeah. in the U.S. That's so a that kind of puts it into perspective. Right. That's a lot of trees and a lot, a lot, a lot of water. Speaking of cat throughout, my cat's talking. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> Which one? It's Spike. Oh, Spike. Hi, Spike. He's a talker. He wants some, he wants some attention. Yeah, he likes the paper towel thing, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> so, you know, people, I, I think is, you know, Green Divas, our message isn't that you have to go without and you have to suffer and, you know, be austere and reuse, you know, um, dish towels to pick up your cat puke. But what we're saying is be aware and buy recycled paper when you can. Um, and it is a choice now. And almost all all paper product companies, there there are these options now. And they're not bad. Right. You right. Know, and they, I will include some stats about napkins. We don't have time for those. But yeah. that's, of course, another. And you saw in my house I have a basket of um, cloth napkins that we just yes. – I just throw them in the wash every week. Right. Yeah, we have a, a drawer full of those as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's not that difficult once you get used to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you realize how many trees and how much water and how much chlorine or whatever is used, uh, you're like, okay, maybe it's not that hard to do. Right on. So thank you, Green Diva Lynn, for thinking of this topic. And um Everybody stay, stay tuned for more good stuff. Take care. Find out more about this Green Divas at Home segment and lots of other great low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Green can be so sexy. Well, at least you can be sexy and keep it green. Check out the Green Divas Eco Sexy Podcast for ways to keep it green in the bedroom or wherever you like to have sex. And yet another fun Green Divas Eco Sexy segment. This time we are back again with Stephanie Iris Weiss, who's the author of Eco-Sex Go Green Between the Sheets. And I think there's more to it, and I can't read my chicken scratch. <laughs> there's a, there's... And make your love life sustainable is Dang. the rest of the subtitle. <laughs> well, you think I could have figured that out, right? But... <laughs> Thank you for calling, uh, calling in again today, Stephanie. I think we've my got pleasure. a pretty fun topic today. Yes, we're going to talk about toys. Toys. One of my favorite subjects. Who doesn't love toys? (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to like uh, greening up our toys and keeping them healthy and safe, what advice do you have? Well, you know, there's a lot to know about toys um, that, you know, people don't really think about, mainly because we talked last time about sexual shame a lot, I believe. Yeah, yeah. um, I think that um, because toys have traditionally been something that have been sort of underground and hidden and then sort of like, you know, you think of like the dirty Times Square sex shops of yore, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's quite different now, but I think in people's consciousness, it hasn't completely shifted. Um, so, you know, people can now order their to- toys online or they can go to a really, really awesome progressive sex shop if there's one in their city. Like here in New York, we have Bayland, several Baylands, um, and, you know, really, does really... The, does the can, Pink Pussycat Boutique still exist? The Pink Pussycat still exists, and uh-huh. it actually is a couple of blocks away from me. I live in Greenwich Village. Oh, yeah, I've, yeah I've been there. I haven't been in there probably since I was, like, in high school or college. 
Um, so I don't know what kind of stuff they have in stock these days. I couldn't really comment on whether they have green toys or otherwise. Yeah. But, um, but back in the day, the Pink Pussycat was one of those places where you would go because it was like, you know, the secret place that you were going. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily um, clean and green. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and, and now, you know, we live in a different era where, um, you know, there's less shame in all of this and people are blogging about it and talking about it openly, and I'm really, really happy about that. However, not everyone knows what to look for and what to avoid in toys. Right. And um, so I dedicated a whole chapter to toys in ecosex, um, to give people sort of the lay of the land about, about you know, whether the toys that they already have are safe or what they should be looking for if they're going to go out and buy new toys. And right. so let's start with those of, those of us who still have that old vibrator sitting around from, I don't know, 1994, if there are any of you out there that, have, that happen to have something like that. The dog hasn't eaten it. or Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so the, you know, vibrators, and, and they, you know, they, there's still some that are being made this way, like made in China, full of phthalates, yeah. super dangerous yeah. plastics that we want to avoid. Um, those still exist. And, and the reason for this is that vibrators are considered novelty products, right? Okay. So they don't have to be regulated the way other health products would be regulated. Right, right. Um, or even something like condoms, other sexual aids are more regulated than sex toys because they're considered novelties. Okay. So the most important thing to consider, um, you know, with an old sex toy um, is if you can figure out what it's made out of, um, you know, and, and um, you know, it, it's probably going to be some kind of scary, off-gassing, phthalate-filled plastic. <laughs> you really probably just want to get rid of that. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and one way to check um, potential new toys that you might be shopping for if you're shopping in a store, that isn't a place where you can go to the, the person in the shop and say, like, is this a safe toy? What is it made out of? <laughs> Give it a sniff. Okay. Um, and um, if it smells like, like a, if it has, like, a new car smell, you want to put that back on the shelf. <laughs> it's outgassing <laughs> already. Outgassing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, and full of chemicals. Ew. So um, one general tip is when shopping for a toy, a really, really safe substance in toys is silicone. Um, yeah. It's body safe. It lasts for a long time. It doesn't off-gas. Um, it's, that's a, a, a lot of toys are being made out of silicone, body-safe silicone these days. In particular, um, a brand that I really love, probably my favorite brand of all out there, is called Jimmy Jane. They're out of San Francisco. Okay. Um, and they make really gorgeous quality sort of like the kind of items that you would want to display. Like usually we would hide our vibrator in the night table drawer so no one could see it. <laughs> but the Jimmy Jane toys are so gorgeous that you might want to like put them up on the night table. <laughs> display really proudly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, and a lot of them are um, water safe, and they're, the thing about them that I love so much, I mean, I love a lot about them, but they last forever. Okay. And, you know, as we know, as green divas, right, like the things that you, you're going to keep for a long time are the greenest things, right? Right, you know, right. The stuff that's going to run out in a couple of years or less um, and end up back in the landfill are the are the products that you want to avoid. So 
I think that Jimmy Jane toys, you know, I mean, I know from experience that I've had several of my own I have for like more than five years and they're still going strong. And I, I believe that they'll last, you know, 15, 20 years. These right. toys are really beautifully made. All right. All right. Yeah. So that, that's cool. Now, by the way, are you going to be doing a post? I, I, we usually get a post from you, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll write one up. Absolutely. Right. So people can go to our site and find out more details. And also, always, you can go visit. What's your site, Stephanie? My site is ecosex.net. And I have a column at ecosalon.com called Sexual Healing that posts on Saturdays. Isn't that exciting? But, of course, we want you to go to the Green Divas first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, so uh, another one last tip for um, finding healthier toys. Um, you know, something else that you can look for and that you wouldn't necessarily think about in shopping for toys um, are glass toys and toys made of wood. Um, yeah, again, you're right. I you wouldn't know, be thinking of those things. You wouldn't be thinking of those things at all, but actually they're quite green. Um, and some of these products are really, really beautifully made. Very, very safe. I know you think about glass. Ow. Yeah. But no. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's no ouch factor there okay. um, at all. And, um, you know, you have to be careful with some of these toys. You, you know, some of them are breakable. Right. But they're really, really long-lasting, and they're made of healthy substances that are not dangerous to the body. Well, these are all good things to think about, and I'm sure there's even more. Like, I'm thinking batteries. I mean, I don't know. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, um, some of the Jimmy Jane toys, for instance, um, are, are um, you know, you, you plug them into the wall and they don't have the internal batteries. Okay. Um, so that's, a, you know, I think a much healthier alternative. I do not... think, yeah, that's a plus because, mm -hmm. you know, anything we can do to minimize the battery trauma on our landfills. Absolutely. Well, we obviously have a lot more to talk about, sister, so... <laughs> We'll have you back on soon, I hope. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, eco, uh, Stephanie Iris Weiss, EcoSex. Um, what is, uh, I'm sorry, the tagline, it's go green between the sheets. And make your love life sustainable. Wow. Thanks so much, Stephanie. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. Turned on yet? Well, go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. To learn more about this Green Divas eco-sexy podcast and find other low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. The Green Divas get to talk to so many inspiring people who each in their own way is helping us find a deeper shade of green. Here's just one of them. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. And today we are so fortunate to have the opportunity to speak with Winona Houter, who is the executive director of Food and Water Watch. She's also a farmer, and um, she's written a book, probably not the only book she's written, by the way, but it's called Foodopoly, and uh, if you're anything like me, you, you're paying attention and you care about where your food comes from and how it affects 
our environment and our health and everything else. And you really, really need to read this book to understand on a deeper level what's really going on. Hi, Winona. Hi, I'm so pleased to be here. Yeah, so <clears throat> I just want to start out by saying that I don't, I don't know if that I mentioned that you're a farmer also. Well, really, to be fair... I own a farm with my husband. Yeah. Really, he's the farmer. I don't know. I think a farming family is a f- everybody's a farmer somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Well, I just want to like read a line in your book, in your introduction, that really stuck out to me. And it says, I feel privileged, and this is Winona writing, uh, I feel privileged to have grown up a rural person and to have had the real-life experience of pulling weeds, squishing potato bugs, canning vegetables, gutting a chicken, baking bread, and chopping wood for the cook stove. And I just, that really, um, that grabbed me. Well, you know, it's the truth. I, I can't say that as a kid, when we moved to the farm when I was 12 and it didn't have plumbing or electricity, uh, to begin with, and my dad never did put the plumbing in. I can't say I was thrilled at that time. Right. Couldn't wait to go away to college. Yeah. But, you know, in retrospect, that's really where I learned many of the values that I hold dear today. And I learned what it really takes to produce food and to produce it ethically. And so I, um, I'm really pleased to have have been raised in, in those circumstances. Now, Food and Water Watch, as the executive director of Food and Water Watch, Food and Water Watch is a wonderful organization that I've been following, gosh, I believe since the 80s, um, correct? Well, we're uh, just about 10 years old now. We spun off of um, the public interest group, Public Citizen, one of the Ralph Nader groups, and we decided it was time to have an organization that was really focused on protecting our um, most, some of our most important resources, our food system and uh, our water and um, having a more responsible way that we uh, deal with the environment. Yeah, and well, I obviously feel like I've been following you all forever. Um, and I try to pay attention. Um, and one of the things, as I was reading your book, Foodopoly, I was thinking, and I, d- I didn't really get to anything that, that answered this, but the food bill, a lot of what you talk about is about the corporate and industrial food system that is wildly broken and not contributing to a healthy, uh, sustainable system. And And I wondered... If you could enlighten us at all about this food bill nightmare and how that contributes to it. Um, well, if you mean the, the, the way that the agricultural policies, I mean, we have yeah. a farm bill that every um, five years is supposed to be reauthorized. It took right. longer this last time. It around. always takes longer, and, doesn't it? Yeah, always. And it um, it's hundreds of pages long, and it forms the basis of the commodity policies, how food stamps um, are distributed, um, just the, all the research dollars that are spent on um, agriculture and, and, uh, and food. So you That's... can imagine that this is kind of the, uh, the structure that it enables 
the food monopolies yeah. to continue yeah. to exist and to thrive at the expense of farmers and consumers. Well, the subsidy yeah. thing, which is very hard for me to wrap my brain around, but that seems to be part of the problem. Well, you know, unfortunately, it's farmers who get blamed for subsidies, but the the true beneficiaries of uh, the subsidy system that that forces farmers to grow a small set of uh, commodities, uh, including corn and soy, the real beneficiaries are the food processors who get cheap inputs for junk food, the grain traders who want to be able to control uh, these very important grains, and um, the... Um, big grocery stores that benefit from selling junk food. So Walmart, for instance, is one of the biggest beneficiaries of agriculture policy. Gosh, you know, Um, and that's not something that, like, you normally connect the dots to, but in your book you do a brilliant job of illustrating these things. There's some charts in there that are... Well, that's right, and, you know, so often the devil's in the detail, and if we don't really look at the underlying structure of things, it's, it's hard to really get a grasp on why things are the way they are. And it's why it's so great that programs like yours exist, because it's very difficult to get the real story from the mainstream media yeah. that has uh, many of the same problems that the food system does, right, small right. Uh, group of companies uh, controlled by um, a very small set of owners, and these issues aren't really discussed um, in the mainstream media uh, very honestly. Well, I don't think I don't think people understand. I have like a general and vague knowledge, which always just makes me want to, you know, gag. But um, I don't think people understand that even the organic industry is controlled by a small group of large farmers, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, um, there are about 20 food companies that control most of the brands in the grocery store, and many of these large food companies also own the organic brands. So uh, General Mills, for instance, owns Muir Glen, Cascadian Farms, um, uh, Foods That Taste Good, Kellogg owns Morningstar, Kashi, um, and other brands, Kraft owns Boca, Back to Nature, Green and Black, Um, you know, and I could go on and on. So... um, in the food industry, there's a lot of pressure to get bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. because in the 1980s, the, the set of rules that made companies be more competitive were weakened. Now, antitrust law is what I'm talking about. Right, right. And with a lot of the changes then in the 1990s and the deregulation, we saw uh, a lot of the rules lifted around Um, global trade and on the financial services industry. And so big companies are incentivized 
to merge and uh, acquire one another. And this is especially true in the food industry because the, the margins are small. And, you know, if you're a uh, big right. food company, you don't have an iPhone to boost your stock prices. The only way you can get bigger and increase your stock price is by buying someone else. So that's one of the things that's led to this um, food system that is controlled by just a few companies. There's tremendous pressure to get bigger. I mean, we've had 75 food mergers um, just in the last 12 months. Wow. That's actually, and you know, the other scary thing, you had a chart in here about, education for, um, you know, agricultural education. Right. Um, and well, who is contributing to all of these universities that offer programs? Right. Well, you know, education now is largely paid for um, uh, by companies. And so especially in agriculture, we see the largest uh, agribusiness donating to universities, uh, you know, the Monsanto wing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that has a really chilling effect. I mean, you look at uh, uh, a university like Iowa State, one of the big univ- um, agricultural universities. Uh, it is uh, funded by Monsanto, uh, Pioneer Hybrid, which is a biotech company, Summit Group, uh, Dow. Um, yeah, I see, you like, know, all of these, like, Texas A&M, and, and Cargill, General, Unilever, um, yeah, I mean, and yeah. it's really, Philip Morris, it seems so self-serving and scary because they're going and, to... You know, these this kind of information is um, very difficult to acquire, too, which is why we, we have a handful of universities that we've done the research on, but they don't necessarily have to tell you where their funding comes right. from. So right. it's, uh, um, you know, it takes quite a lot of work to put these uh, things together. So part of what I think, you know, your your mission is, if I can sort of simplify things, because uh, it's it, it seems to me, is to help educate people so they understand what is really happening, what are the fundamental problems in this system, and then to help us understand ways that we can, because you, you say clearly, um, you know, fork to table is a great concept, and supporting your local farmer's market is, is great, vote with your fork, great, but we really have to get deeper and, and much broader in, in how we affect policy, right? Exactly. And we really want to mobilize people to get involved and to put uh, pressure on their elected officials to take the positions that are going to improve our food system and, you know, improve our lives generally. Well, and so we just had an election. Um, Just just out of curiosity, uh, you know, were there specific... um, candidates that that you might have helped or wanted to educate folks to to possibly support and whether they did or didn't win obviously um well you know i think we had a really bruising midterm election (laughs) and i don't see that um we're going to be making a lot of progress in congress i mean what we basically see that happened was record spending, especially on TV ads. I think when it's all tallied up, 
Um, we expect to see about $3.7 billion spent on this uh, midterm election. Um, and in many cases, uh, people had no idea who they were actually voting for because yeah. they're going uh, on ads that uh, often don't take the truth. And in many cases, people were just registering their dissatisfaction with government in general and how things are going. Thank you. You know, I saw, we saw the effect of the weakening of the uh, Voting Rights Act by the yeah. Supreme Court. Yeah. Very low voter turnout to begin with, and then many uh, shocking voter rights violations. Yeah. And then, you know, I think we're seeing a real uh, anemic strategy by um, the Democratic yep. Party, yep. which is acting Republican light, so that doesn't <laughs> inspire the Democratic <laughs> base to get out. And, um, you know, I think we're going to see uh, uh, real battles in the, um, oh, the next two years yeah. over some issues that, you know, that are economic issues like Social Security. And uh, uh, I think we're going to see uh, attacks on EPA and probably attempts to eliminate it. And uh, overall, I think it makes we we should argue for having a. 50-state strategy, yeah. not just spending huge amounts of money in a few um, a few states that are uh, swing states, and then just depending on money rather than actually getting people well, involved in elections. So this is really um, an interesting topic because what you know what you're advocating and what part of what you're doing, I think, in the D.C. area is to help. Um, educate and rally people to affect policy change, but we are sort of hamstrung, we being those that do want certain change, um, you know, whether it's stronger EPA or, or, or regulatory issues uh, around agriculture or food and water. Um, so what do, you, what do you suggest people do so they don't fall into that sense of hopelessness? <laughs> Well, you know, I think that's a really important question, and I know it's why we have 17 offices across the country and not just offices um, in California and, and D.C., but in states where people live across the country in some agricultural states like Iowa and Michigan. We need to engage people in politics. We need to get them involved in issues People go to elections and get involved in the political process, usually because they care about a particular issue. Right. State politics have been really ignored, and that's one of the reasons we're in such poor shape uh, federally with Congress, because we've seen state legislatures allow crazy gerrymandering. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, the Secretary of State is usually uh, elected, and that's how uh, elections are regulated Decided. in yeah, the yeah. state. Yep. And that's how we see a lot of the uh, voting rights uh, violations, because there's actually an attempt to keep people from voting. So it all gets down to people getting involved where they live and we need to duplicate that all across the country. And I'd invite people to go to our website, okay. foodandwaterwatch.org. We have lots of ways that people can get involved. Yes, and, and, and I really want folks to also check out Winona's book. It is, 
you know, it's not easy in that the information is a little scary, um, but it's important. And I think it will help all of us to become more empowered and, and, and advocate for safer, healthier uh, food and water systems. Well, I appreciate the shout-out for my book, Foodopoly, The Battle Over the Future of Food and Farming. And um, thank you for having me on your show. Well, I hope we'll get to speak to you again, Winona. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed that as much as they did. Please visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. For more fun podcasts and information on the Green Divas and low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You've been listening to the Green Divas radio show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcast on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. 